in 2007 when we won the previous World Cup. I was 17 years old. I remember exactly where I was sitting, who I was watching was, what we did after the game. I remembered all of that. And it was just so real to me that, you know, in 2019, that 12 years later, I was going to be watching a World Cup final again, but married to the Springbok captain. No, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I hope you're recording that already. That's crazy. You never know. I have a crazy dog at home, so you never know like what's normal and what's not. So you're like, okay. <laughs> Welcome to the the Brady Bunch show. Adam's family. Okay, anyway. What's up, everyone? And welcome to the Wide Awake Podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest. Her name is Rachel Khaleesi. And uh, when I think of South Africa and the many role models we have, she is definitely one of the first that comes to mind. And uh, <laughs> this is funny, but when I started the podcast, I thought, you know, who do I want to interview? And a lot of people came to mind and you were one of them. Amazing. So it's so awesome to have you here. Well, I'm incredibly honored, Josh, and um, looking forward to sharing some good information with you guys. But um, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. And I absolutely love your work. I'm in all awe of the stories that you tell. And I don't think that there's anything close to it in South Africa. And I think that it's so necessary. So really honored to be here and can't wait to, uh, to see what's in store. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, just to start off, I want to know, uh, before we get into everything, how are you doing? And uh, how is your life today? Yeah, I'm good. Um, I just got back from a three-day trip with uh, some of my family and some friends. Uh, we went to the bush and we were so fortunate to do some rhino dehorning as well. And uh, I think my eyes have just been, I, I, I'm feeling very, um, I, I guess, awakened to a different side of life in South Africa, which is always beautiful and uh, such a privilege to have. So I'm feeling good. Um, I am also off to Australia next week. So I'm also feeling like it's so much to do and I can't find my laptop this morning, uh, which is always <laughs> a phenomenal way to start a day. So that's pretty stressful, but, but I'm good. I'm good and um, so much to be grateful for. And yeah, as I said, really happy to be here. Amazing. And uh, the one thing that I've, I want to say is that when people become successful, I think most of us just assume that they've always been that way, yeah. you know, and uh, we don't see everything they've gone through to get to that point. Yeah. I read that you worked five jobs simultaneously yeah. to put yourself through your studies. Yeah. I mean, how is that even possible? Yeah. <laughs> Firstly. No, it was, a, it was an interesting time. So um, in school, I wasn't an academic at all. Um, in fact, I was the one who would copy friends or... Um, you know, people would just say she's, I often had teachers and, and just people in general saying, uh, she's not going to amount to anything. She's not going to make anything of herself. And, um, I used to try and take a lot of that negativity and help it drive me. Um, but I was always, I always knew I'm a very hard worker. So practically I can, I can work hard. I just needed an opportunity. And, um, so after school, I moved to Somerset West actually, um, from Grahamstown. And then, um, I started working at a, a pub there. Um, so I was a bartender, a waitress. I used to hand out flyers at robots, um, at one stage as well. Um, I did promotions, you know, like those castle lager girls in Cubana, like those promotions and, uh, babysitting wherever I could. So any kind of odds and sods I would do. Um, to pay the bills. But with that said, you know, I did an interview about that recently and I actually had someone um, say to me, well, it's interesting that you were able to hold five jobs at once when some South Africans can't even get one. And that was also just such a an awakening moment for me and um, just helped me realize, you know, the situation and the, the, the world that we live in um, today. Um, but I did work really hard and um, there's no taking away from that. I did everything I could to make sure my bills were paid and, um, you know, supporting family members at times as well. But um, the fact is I'm a very hard worker and I think most people are with an opportunity that can be attached to that. Yeah, I'm sure. And I know you're a hard worker. I see all the things you're doing. And um, I want to know, before we get into some of the more serious stuff, what was the worst job you worked? <laughs> oh, I have to say... 
I started waitressing at the pub that I landed up bartending at. And that was pretty rough because you would get a lot of drunk guys at night and they would get touchy-feely. And so I actually requested to start standing behind the bar because at least they couldn't touch you from there. <laughs> um, that was pretty crummy. And also the... Um, the promotions job also just sucked because, yeah, just drunk men again in clubs just feeling like they have full access to you, that that sucked as well. Um, and there was also a stage when I was a teenager, which probably doesn't compare, but it, it also was, was horrible to do was uh, collecting dirty dishes and washing glasses and those kinds of things, which, you know, which, yeah, I suppose doesn't really compare to the touchy-feely. But um, as much as possible, I tried to get behind bars instead of in front of them because um yeah those those are pretty crummy to do yeah i know i mean i've seen that on nights out where people just think they have a few drinks and they think they can just do kind of whatever they want to do yeah and especially in south africa i mean all over the world really but especially in south africa yeah. with our heightened awareness of the issues that face like we all face in, as a country yeah um to see that still going on um is quite crazy. It's crazy. And I, I sincerely hope that that's changed. So for girls, obviously, that are still working in promotion and stuff, I, I really do hope that there is a, a change in that. I think when I was doing it was, I mean, years ago, like 15 years ago, and, um, and it was rough. And no one ever said to them, like, hey, that's inappropriate. And um, and I I, th I guess I kind of had this mindset, well, I'm, I'm working and I don't know. I was a young girl. I, I didn't. I didn't really know what was okay and what wasn't. So, um, yeah, I sincerely hope that that mindset has completely changed for for people that are doing it today. Mm, I think it is kind of when, especially when you're young, you don't know necessarily that it's wrong. Yeah. As as a lady, you're like maybe oh this is maybe this is just how it is, you know. Yeah. But I think now there's no excuse when it comes to that kind of stuff. Everyone knows that it's wrong and. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that it does change more so in the future. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to know now that you've got so much going on in life um, and you guys are doing, once again, just such incredible stuff. So um, how do you manage to balance being like a mother, a wife, uh, you know, you work with your foundation. How do you manage to balance that with traveling? And it just seems like, you know, I get stressed out just running the podcast. <laughs> Like that was you because your dog came and jumped up with me yeah. just to come and hang out for a <laughs> bit. You, you know, I'm such a stressful person. And like this morning, like every time I do an interview, I'm like pacing back and forth. And I'm like, Did, you know, so how do you handle that? How do you handle yeah. everything? Well, I think um, I think everybody has something that, you know, when you're passionate about something, you do get stressed and nervous about it because it is important to you and you want to deliver it as well as you possibly can and um, to the best of your abilities. So I think that a little bit of nervousness and stress every now and then is a healthy thing. Um, not too much of it, obviously, but I think that it's good because it shows that you care and it's something that you're passionate about, which I think is really important. Um, balancing life on on a daily basis has been interesting and um, it has taken a lot more of my, I've spent a lot more time, especially this year specifically, kind of understanding what that looks like to live healthier. And um, because I felt like for the last maybe two, three years prior to this year, um, I was just kind of go, 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 go. And I was constantly like, hey, looking forward to this because then we're moving and then looking forward to this because then that's done. And almost just ticking boxes, but not living for the moment, you know, and really just enjoying where I was at. So mm -hmm. um, that's something that um, this year I feel like I've tried to be a lot more intentional about is um, not constantly looking forward to what's next and getting whatever it is I'm trying to get through done and actually just appreciating the moments that I'm in. And um, I felt like just in general, it's helped me just be present, you know, and almost just slow down a little bit, even though it's still crazy. It just helps slow down. But um, I'm super intentional about what I do. I, I live through a diary. I, I'm a big advocate for organization and planning. I think that that is so important if um, if you're working towards success. I think that that's a skill that you absolutely need to um to nail along the way but uh, organization and planning so I live through my diary and I know exactly where I need to be when I need to be it and obviously being a parent you can be thrown a curveball I don't really have my husband around much um to help with that so you know if you have a child sick at school it does throw a curveball into your day but at least you know what's upcoming what you need to plan for um which I think is really helpful um and I think also as a woman because we nurturers and we're such givers 
um, we often are the sacrifice. So our families need to be taken care of and our friends need to be taken care of. Our businesses need to run or careers or studies or whatever it looks like. But we ourselves are often the ones pouring out of a cup. And I think that um, we make sure that we the first sacrifice, which is such a problem, I think, because, well, you can't pour from an empty cup. And um, also because you're giving those around you the, the least that you can offer because you haven't spent time looking after yourself. So that's another thing this year that I've tried to be intentional about is making sure I've got time for me. So for me, exercise is something that I, I really, um, I love doing and I love doing by myself and, um, it's really my me time. So I try to do that every day, um, or go for a nice walk or just have a quiet time. I love playing solitaire actually on my computer and I'll listen <laughs> to a podcast and, um, yeah, I just, I find things in my day, I love doing puzzles. And sometimes when life is too hectic, too crazy, I'm like, I'm just going to put everything on pause and do a puzzle, even if it takes three days. But that's just, that's just the way that I deal with it. But I think that um, obviously for every person, it looks different because, you know, depending on your situation and how flexible you can be. But um, for me, I just think that it's absolutely important that every woman specifically finds something that she's able to do um, to pour into herself and nurture herself and make sure you're okay so you can go out and, and do the incredible work that you do. Yeah, no, I think I think it is very important. And I was speaking to someone on the podcast as well who was saying that mothers sacrifice everything yeah. for the people around them and not just family, but generally everyone in your vicinity, you know, like my mother cares about us. She cares about the people that work for us. Yeah. She cares about everyone around us. And uh, sometimes I think when there's no one to care for, you forget to really like, how do I take care of myself as well? Right. Um, and something you were saying is that like, it is so important to acknowledge where you are and the things you're doing. Um, and I find myself trapped in the cycle of looking into the future, like I'm not successful now or I'm not successful enough. Um, and I don't give myself credits for the things I've done. Yeah. You know, um, I was watching someone speak about this the other day and they were saying that, you know, and in my eyes, they're incredibly successful, but they were just talking about like, what's next? What's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's just not what about, like, it's not about what's next. It's about just living in the things that you're doing right now. Yeah. And often if you think about what's next all the time, I find people get caught in this trap of like, I want to be there, but I want to get there now. And you kind of lose sight of the things that you're currently doing, which will prevent you from getting there. So I think just living in the moment can be very important, more yeah. important than we think. Yeah. And I, I, I guess it's the world we live in today hey, of just constantly wanting to be fulfilled, more fulfilled, more fulfilled, more fulfilled, instead of actually just being okay with what you've got. So, I mean, there's so many things in my life that I wished for years ago that I have now, but I, I still sometimes find myself looking at, okay, next, 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 you know? Um, and it's, I mean, my faith really grounds me and really just brings me back to just be grateful for what you have and work with what you've got. And um, I actually just yesterday, we were with Sia in Zwide in the township where he grew up. And he actually said exactly that. He said that while he was growing up in the township, um, a lot of the, the his friends and, and community members said to him, you've got to use what you've got. Because we went to one of the fields where he picked up the, his first rugby ball and um, we were showing some friends of ours from New Zealand around and um, there were guys there training yesterday, you know, midday and really having a crack at like a solid fitness session and stuff. And, and he's like, you see, you don't need the fanciest facilities and the best of the best in order to do what you want to do and achieve what you want to achieve. You need an opportunity and you need to work hard. And I think that um, the world we live in today is just all consuming all the time. Like we're consuming everything on social media. We consuming what's the next thing what's like trending on tiktok and what's doing that and you know we we just constantly all consuming instead of actually just taking a step back and just like living in a moment i think is is so so underrated nowadays and i think i'm um, so uncommon which is dangerous i think which is really dangerous because then if we're living in a world where everybody's just looking at like what more can i do what more can i get what more do how much more successful do i need to be you know, there's this, it's not healthy. Nothing it's will not ever be healthy. enough. Yeah. No absolutely. matter how successful or how far in your 
in your career you are, there's always something else that you want, I think. 100%, yeah. And um, I want to talk about your kids. Mm -hmm. So you have two kids, right? Yeah. And you also have two biological and two adopted. Yes. So the two adopted kids are Sia's brother and sister. Yeah. Can you tell me how that all came to be? Yeah, so it's a, it's a really special story. So um, Sia, um, Sia, Liam and Lipelo uh, share a mother, Pakama. Um, she passed away when Sia was about 15 years old. And um, Sia, uh, obviously his after school, his career kind of picked up and stuff and he went into that. Um, and after their mother passed away, Liam and Lipelo went to live with their father. And unfortunately, he passed away a year later. But at that time, Sia had already, um, you know, moved into kind of professional rugby. And um, so they lost touch. And, um, you know, some of it is Liam and Lipelo's story to tell, but they lost touch for seven years. And um, and one year when Sia was on tour with the Springboks in Gobeja, formerly known as Port Elizabeth, um, he... Ha saw a cousin on the road and his cousin actually said to him, I know where your brother and sister are. And um, he went to Motherwell and uh, he actually, he found his brother and sister. And this is in 2014 when I was actually pregnant with Nicholas. And um, Liema was 11 years old and Liepela was six. And um, it was just the most incredible moment for, for Sia and, and Liam and Liepela. And, um, yeah, he just said, you know, he's found his siblings. He's never had an opportunity to get to know them and he would love to. And um, so we kind of chatted about what that looks like. And we wanted to make sure that they were comfortable. You know, obviously moving um, cities is a massive thing already. And um, they had been through so much. And uh, so we brought them with um, Makulu, uh, the granny who was looking after them. And um we brought them over to Cape Town to come and make sure that, you know, it's a move they wanted to do and something they were comfortable with. And, um, yeah, and they, they enjoyed it. They were comfortable. And uh, so they made the move in December 2014. So Nick was born September 2014 and Liam Lipelo uh, moved in with us December 2014. And uh, it has been an incredible journey since then. And um, I went from having one child to three in the space of three months. <laughs> um, That's a big adjustment. No, listen, for those that have triplets, I'm like, hats off to you. I don't know <laughs> how. But um, but there is not a single day that I would have it any other way. Like, And I think anyone in a family, you can't imagine one of your family members, even the one that may be a bit dodgy, like you still can't. <laughs> <That's me. laughs> You still can't imagine them not being there, you know, and um, we have just been incredibly privileged to have, you know, shared so many phenomenal memories and um, just created this beautiful family that, you know, is constantly changing because now Liam is 20 years old. He's not 11 years old anymore. So the like dynamic is almost changing again from almost parenting him to now moving into a more sisterly role for him. And same with Lipelo, although anyone who has teenagers will know it is a a very interesting thing to have to deal with. It is hard, hard, hard raising teenagers. In fact, I'm always laughing at all of these mom bloggers. I'm not laughing because I know that part is hard also. Because you I'm relate like, to it. I relate to the toddler side of it, but I'm like, just wait till you have teenagers <laughs> because it is hectic. I know. My, my brother's just had a baby. It's almost a year old. <sighs> and it's so funny because he thinks he's the only person to ever raise a baby. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, Daniel, this is the easiest it's ever going to be. No, <laughs> literally, when they don't talk back to you, they listen to you, you don't have any problems. Like it's, um, you know, the teething and tantrum side of things. So I'll take that over teens in a year. Although there are moments with teenagers, they just somehow they, I just constantly with them, I'm like, there's just moments that I wish I could just hold and just like pause and just hold for like ever because um, they're just such special moments. But the, they do feel far and few. <laughs> but mm. um but it's it's been an incredible, yeah, an incredible time. And, you know, Liam is finishing up matric this year and then he's heading off to study next year. And uh, Lipelo's grade eight now and she's got a few more years of school. So, um, yeah, it's it's beautiful. And then, you know, Nicholas, of course, Nick was born, um, he was actually born 32 weeks premature. 
And um, so it was a very stressful birth Scary, as well. Yeah. yeah. And um, he is just the most phenomenal child as well. And little Kezia, if you want to know who the boss actually is in our house, it's Kezia. And uh, she's she'll be five at the end of the year. But um, but it's yeah, it's such a special dynamic, and it's always been a bit I don't know strange because I felt like so many people have like honored me and you know made such a big deal about you know our fi family dynamic and stuff. And I guess to me, I, I've never really understood like this big like honoring for it because in my mind, I'm like, who wouldn't do that, you know? And I said to Sia, you know, when we were kind of deciding what um what we were all wanted and what we all wanted to do um I said to him you know if you knew that I had siblings he for sure would have dropped everything and made sure that you know they could um be a part of our family and, and figured that out mm -hmm. and um and it's yeah it's it's been it's been hard like I don't want anyone to look at Instagram and be like wow it's a happy family and everything's great our family dynamic is just as challenging as any other and it is hard sometimes um, but we love our family and um, we are incredibly blessed. And I, I think that, you know, if anything, people need to remember as hard as dynamics can sometimes be. It is such a blessing to be a part of a family. It's the safest place you can be and um, the most protected place that you can be. And a place where when everything else falls apart, those people will love you and they will come through for you. And um, yeah, so we've got an incredible family dynamic and. We, I just, I love my family and um, I, yeah, all the time I'm just in awe of the fact that, that God chose me to be a part of, to be a part of their lives and, um, and this to journey. like amazing unit. Yeah. It's just, it's <laughs> like this little dysfunctional powerhouse that just, mm. you know, does amazing things. And I guess it's, it's so fascinating to see how everybody has their passion and, you know, they're different of what they want to go into. And of course, you know, we have the foundation and, we hope that uh, somewhere, you know, it resonates with all of them, which especially, I mean, with all four of them already, they've already, not necessarily all the programs and projects that we run, but there's something that they either want to add or, um, or want to be a part of. But it's it's just incredible how that's kind of ingrained in them now as well and something that they want to um, kind of take ownership of one day as well, which is mm -hmm. so exciting for us. Well, I think a lot of the time when your parents are doing something and the people around you are doing something, it kind of rubs off yeah. on you as well, whether yeah. you like it or not. You know, I think um, with with me, I went a very different way to the rest of my family. Um, and I was quite a, a Rachmanis. <laughs> I was a little <laughs> bit of a naughty kid. But you and me and, both, Josh, and, don't you worry. <laughs> and you do some bad things, but yeah. um, I think the morals that are instilled in you are still there. Yeah. And uh, when you do grow out of those rebellious phases and you, you kind of have the opportunity to see things more clearly, mm. uh, the way you've been raised, I think, will always shine through. Yeah. Yeah. I think there definitely came a point, because I was also, don't get me wrong, I was also a damn naughty teenager. Like I gave my dad a run for his money. But um, I think there comes a point in your life and, it could be in your teenage stage. For me, it was uh, in my pre-20s, like early 20s, um, where I realized, is the way that I'm living getting me to the point that I want to be at? So um, the decisions that I was making, I think that there's two paths that you can take in, in life at, at the stage when you realize, what am I actually doing? And you can continue down this, you know, jolling drinking, partying, all of that. You can do that, absolutely. But is it going to get you to where you're hoping to be, which is actually down the decisions that lie on this path? And that's where I wanted to be, but I'm going all the way this way. And it, I remember I remember vividly in my early 20s, I reined back on everything. I focused on working really hard. And that's when I was doing, you know, I was literally working like sometimes 16, 18 hours a day, um, but focused on working really hard, and taking the opportunities that were um, given to me, um, but started making healthier decisions just in my lifestyle, the way that I was living life, doing life, and um, and it, I, I needed. I realized if I carry on here, it's not it's not going to get me there, and I need to um, change the direction that I was going in. And I think that everybody has that moment, um, and the decision you make is completely up to you. Nobody makes that decision for you. Um, you've just got to understand that there's obviously consequences for every decision that you make. And if you can live with those, then that's great. 
Um, but I think that everybody's got the opportunity to change the trajectory of where their life is going. I think everybody has the opportunity to make a decision for themselves. Um, it's what you choose to do with that is, is up to you. So we can all stand and blame situations, scenarios, people, all we want. But ultimately, we make the decisions we make and we've got to live with those. I think you kind of just described my journey almost exactly <laughs> where there was that fork in the road where yeah. someone stepped in, which was my family and said, you know, you can keep doing these things. Yeah. Where's it going to get you? Yeah. You know, and you're tearing everyone else apart or you can go down this road, which in the short term is much harder. Yep. But in the long run, it's going to be a lot more beneficial for you. Yeah. And I want to know, so I'm sure there's a lot of upsides that come with being in the spotlight. And <laughs> I know that there's definitely some downsides as well. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about some of the backlash you've experienced mm -hmm. over the years mm -hmm. and how this, you don't have to go into anything in specific if you don't want to, but just how being in the spotlight and receiving so much attention negatively and positively, how, mm -hmm. do, how has that affected your mental health? Yeah. Um, you know, being in the spotlight is, um, is interesting, but again, it's a decision that people make because remember there's a lot of people who, who live privately, even though their, their, you know, lives may be public, but social media has given us another, another level of living publicly and, you know, an opportunity to live privately. So we've made the decision to live publicly. And I think that that's important for people to understand is, yes, there are moments that it is, people are interested in our life and interested in what we're doing. Um, but we feed that beast because of social media. So that's something I think to be super aware of, of um, people that you follow and, you know, backlash and all of that kind of stuff is unfortunately you know, yes, there absolutely is backlash. It comes with it. There's a lot of amazing things. Um, and we've chosen to live more publicly because there's work that we feel like specifically with the foundation and platforms that we feel like we've been blessed with to use for important things, important conversations, um, bringing things to light and um, doing amazing work through the foundation. So we've chosen to live that way because we believe that there's amazing work that can be done with that. Um, but of course, yes, it comes with massive amounts of backlash and, um, and we, I, I specifically have had to grow very thick skin over the years, but I guess, you know, the first thing that comes to mind would be the racism, um, we received, uh, in the early days of our kind of dating, well, not dating, but when we were together, actually after we had, um, Nick, was probably some of the worst um, racism comments and stuff that, that we received. Um, and was it mainly because you were an interracial couple? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, received messages from white people saying, oh, you've uh, messed up our pure bloodline and, um, you know, saying things like you've got half-breed children and... Um, you know, and then we get from people of color as well, just saying how um, see as a sellout taking a white wife. And there's just, there was so, so many comments from all over the place. Um, but you kind of had to, we just had to realize that, you know, they don't know us as people and as individuals. They don't know our hearts. They don't know the way we live. Um, and they don't, you know, they've got no business kind of commenting the way that they do. So, Back in the day, I used to address these things like full on. Head I went on. to yeah, I went to media with it. I you know they when the media reached out, I addressed it because I was like, this is absolute BS, and it was just unreal to see how many interracial couples were dealing with exactly the same thing, um, and how many people were fearful of pursuing relationships with people from different races because of exactly what they saw. But I must say. Um, and now I kind of, especially people with these fake accounts, I'm like, honestly, if you don't have the balls to come and address these things as yourself, then I'm not interested in even bothering with you. So I just, I've learned to block and delete and um, just get on with it. But I, I am grateful for the way that I addressed it early on because I feel like it's really, um, it's changed over the years and I don't feel like we receive half as much of it, although I spend a hang of a lot less time on social media mm. these days, but I feel like we hardly receive messages like that. And, um, and we try spread, you know, 
Love will always win. And that's just, it's a fact of the matter. And it's been, it's been proven over and over and over again. So the best way to shut people up like that is actually to just continue living your best life. And, and sometimes you let them watch and suffer because ultimately people like that are waking up on a daily basis. So sour with the way you living and the decisions you making, but you living like a great life. So I'm like, go on and continue living an awesome, happy life and let them watch and just be so sour in their, you know, ridiculous little situation. So I'm a big believer in, you know, when someone can't stand something and um, is so disappointed in the decisions that you make, but you happy, like... Doesn't matter. Go on and do it. Mm. And, and once again, referencing something someone else said is that, when it comes to comments and listening to people that don't know you speak about you, yeah. uh, when, it's, when it's a positive comment, you can't take it in too seriously. Yeah. And when it's a negative comment, you can't take it in too seriously because on both sides, they don't actually know you. Yeah. And, it, and it, it's unhealthy on both sides. And mm. you're absolutely right. And I'm so glad that you've actually brought up like the positive comments and like the, you know, you're the first lady of the country and uh, you're phenomenal and you're amazing because, I mean, they, they're all intended with really good hearts and that's important, but also to understand where someone is in mentally. So, for instance, I've had moments where I've felt absolutely broken, but I'll post as if I'm not and everything's good, everything's happy, everything's fine. And then I'll receive comments like that, just, wow, you're so amazing, you're so strong, so inspirational. And then I go back and I'm like, like I just feel like a worm in the corner of the floor because I'm just in bad, such a bad mental space. And sometimes I've like really struggled with just like, how can they think I'm so amazing, but I'm actually just like a broken woman and... <laughs> And it was so yeah. hard, but um, that's the that's the danger and the power of social media these days. And I guess that if if you're not in a space to handle either and both, then spend time off there rather and um, make sure you're in a good, healthy space. So I've you know I've really been able to learn over the years of just you've got to have a thick skin for the negativity because it's going to come whether you're doing what you think may be good or bad, it's coming. Um, so that's just something you've got to realize. And um, you've also got to be able to to navigate the positive stuff and also this like worshiping and praising and um, kind of be able to take that too because it, it can be overwhelming at times as well. And, um, and you've got to stay grounded. Like mm. it's very important for us to stay grounded. So... Uh, we still try to keep it as real as possible because we think it's important for people to realize, you know, it's um, it's not all sunshine and roses all the time. And um, I'm very, very vulnerable in a lot of talks that I do um, because I believe that it frees a lot of women from things that they may be dealing with and um, may potentially help them through a situation that they're going through. Um, but there's a lot that, you know, we haven't spoken about yet because it's still stuff that we're processing and working through and, um and when God wills it, you know, it, it absolutely will be spoken about in part of our testimonies. But, you know, ultimately there is no test without a testimony and um, there is no testimony without a test. Um, so it is important to go through hard things because that's how you're able to help others through through their challenges. Exactly. And, um, you know, I find that you stand for a lot of things. And one of the things when I was when I was doing some research for the podcast yeah. that I came across and that I, I read about beforehand as well is the hashtag you started called Save See a Story. Yeah. And um, this was a hashtag you started because a man called Jeremy Daniel wrote a book that was published by Jonathan Ball Publishers. Mm. And the book was a biography about Sia's life. Mm. I mean, can you tell me a little bit about the backstory behind that yeah. and what happened? Yeah, super frustrating situation. And I'm, you know, I'm so glad that Sia's uh, released his uh, amazing book now, Rise, and it's an authorized and it's his and it's an incredible, powerful story. Um, I just felt very strongly about the fact that Sia has dealt with so many challenges in his life and um, really had to overcome so many situations. And he did that and it was his stories to tell. And ultimately, you know, if people are writing unauthorized biographies along the way, it filters the story because 
people will read that feeling like they're satisfied with knowing Sia's story. And then when Sia does release a book, maybe they feel like, mm, I don't know if this is, you know, maybe they feel like I've actually read a story already, so I don't need to read this one. Um, Sia didn't benefit off of that book at all um, financially or in any way, shape or form. Um, it was absolutely unauthorized. He communicated on numerous occasions that he did not want it to go out. And there's a lot of details behind the scenes, but apparently, you know, after seeking um, legal advice, it is legal. And, um, you know, I think if you look at even uh, the documentary that was recently put out by Tiger Woods, not by Tiger Woods, about Tiger Woods, that was also an unauthorized documentary that was put out. And I just think that it's so sad and horrific that people are able to benefit off of other people's stories and successes and challenges and people benefit especially financially that is just horrific to me you know if um we've donated 50 percent of the profits from sia's book to our gender-based violence program at the foundation and um that was always our intention but for people to just benefit fully off of this is is just absolutely ridiculous for me but I just find it so it doesn't make sense in my mind that that there's organizations and companies and individuals that are able to um, to write unauthorized documentaries and books about successful people who have worked really, really, really hard to get to where they are, especially if they're willing to and are planning on telling their own stories one day. That just freaks me out. And I mean, to this day, this this book you know they place it in bookshops because I you best and I went to all the bookshops and yeah, no, I I'm like, sure you went to war <laughs> I did I, I was fuming and you know Sia's not confrontational at all and he just constantly was saying please leave it like don't make a big deal just whatever you know whatever but I, I just felt so strongly that you know it's it's not right it's just not right and I think for me I'm a very I live in a very like what's wrong is wrong and what's right is right. I, I don't live in the gray area. And, um, and I do stand up for, for what I believe is right. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be corrected where I should be absolutely. And I will apologize where I've been wrong, but I, um, I just believe strongly that this was absolutely not okay. Mm. And, um, I've seen people take advantage of Sia. I've seen people walk all over him and, um, and sometimes I feel like I need to protect him. And um, this was just one of those times. And um, yeah, I was, it, was, uh, it was great to see, though, how people kind of leaned into that and really just got on board with it as well, like saving Sia's story, especially knowing, you know, Sia had a book coming out as well. It seems very spiteful. And <sighs> um, I think just historically as well in our country, one of the things you said was, here's another white guy profiting off of the back of a black man. Yeah. And um, I, I feel like it's exactly that, you know, yeah. especially the fact that Sia was going to release a book. He didn't want this book out. Yeah. Um, I think it's amazing that you stood up and, and said something because, yeah. I mean, I would have done the exact same thing. Yeah. I think it's I think it's horrific. Yeah. And one of the things that I saw, I think you mentioned it in your post as well, was that. Well, I think they did that it was released before just before the World Cup. Yeah, so it was released just before the World Cup. And, and then it was they, because they wanted a positive story. Yeah. But I feel like that's just an extremely opportunistic moment to go, you know, there's going to be a lot of hype. Let's just sell a book. So opportunistic. And, you know, then they changed the cover after the World Cup to see her lifting the trophy. So the exact same book and just changed the cover. And that that was when I was just like, no. This it's gone too is, far. No. no, this is insane. Um, and that's when I, you know, started the hashtag Save Sia Story. And, you know, um, what was also amazing to see was when Sia released, so he released his book Rise in um, October last year. And it has done incredibly, incredibly I've seen well. Everywhere. Oh, I've seen it everywhere. The sales, I mean, it's, it's one of the top sellers in South Africa ever. And in some of the countries, different countries around the world, it's the most sold book in some other countries around the world. It's, it's unbelievable. It's just, it's been nominated for some massive awards as well. And um, what I love about the story that he's told is it's been so honest and so raw, but without bashing or creating any kind of 
you know, blaming of anybody else, even though he absolutely has had the right to hold people accountable for decisions they made in his story and his journey. He's just completely stuck to what is his story, what is true and um, what he believes to be important. And I'm just so proud of what he's done with that book. And, um, also just like for the public and how they've just leaned into that and absolutely just, um, just love to read and um, to be a part of his story and really understand, you know, where he comes from, what's on his heart and where he wants to kind of go and things that are important to him. I just think it's been absolutely incredible to see. Mm -hmm. And I'm so proud of Sia, but also just honoring, you know, the public and how they've just leaned into um, to waiting for his story um, from him and, um, and really just, getting on top of that and on board of, of reading his story and waiting for his book and, and, and buying it when it was, when it was released. Mm. Like I said, I mean, I saw it everywhere and yeah. that's how a story should be told is from the person themselves yeah. and the people around them, you know? Absolutely. Um, I think that's the, the best way to do it. And speaking about, we was mentioned the world cup just now, what was that time like for you? Cause obviously the whole world, the whole country was watching, you know, I was arguing with my dad and I was speaking about like the viewership of the, the rugby world cup. And I think it was like, I might say this wrong now, but I think it was 900 million viewers or something. Crazy. It was the most viewed sporting, it was the most viewed sporting um, event of 2019, actually. I mean, everyone was watching. Yeah. But how are you feeling? I want to know how you were feeling because we yeah. all saw the boys out there, but I'm sure you were sitting at home <laughs> or sitting. In Lots the, of praying. <laughs> yeah. How, how was that for you? Uh, it was, it was probably one of the most special times you know we, the winning of course was amazing but just um just leading up to the final but also just being a part of an event like that is such a privilege you know in 2017 20, 2007 when we won the previous world cup I was 17 years old I remember exactly where I was sitting who I was watching was what we did after the game I remembered all of that and um it was just so real to me that you know in 2019 that 12 years later I was going to be watching a World Cup final again but married to the Springbok captain um, <laughs> you know with my children there just it's just crazy how life mm -hmm. what life what happens in life and you never know like you never know where life will take you and and what God's got in store for you and um, I think I think what was really important to me was to create a space for Sia where he felt was normal. So even in all this chaos, because obviously every time he left our room, it was okay, like he's working, right? He's He's got a job to do. Um, so he would immediately, we watched um, the England-New Zealand game to, you know, to find out who we were going to be playing in the final. And... Um, we were watching that game in our room and I just remember the minute, you know, the final whistle blew, he just got up and he looked at me, he's like, I've got to go. And then he went straight down to the team room. And I just remember that moment where he just kind of realized like he's got a massive job to do. So I think for me, I just tried to make the time there and for a lot of the the wives and partners that were there just to make some, some part of that to feel normal for the guys and um, just to make them feel like they have a, a space where they can just, you know, debrief Decompress and where everyone's yeah. not so crazy. Yeah, and <laughs> because it must have felt surreal. Surreal, I mean, and um, and the whole country was just watching and just. I think, you know, we were in such a a, a hard spot at the time. Yeah, that um, it was just something I felt was so needed. Yeah, and I've only recently. I mean, I watched the World Cup, but I've only recently really started following sports and watching rugby hey. because. <laughs> There's not often that South Africa is looked at in an, in an, for amazing things, you know. And I think our team is such an amazing thing to represent our country. And yeah. I feel like it is such a big part of the way people see us yeah. and how they view us. And I think our team is a, an amazing, they're amazing ambassadors for South Africa. That's it, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, what I want to know is that, so I heard on another interview that you did, you said that, we had to win the World Cup. Mm. And um, why do you think that at that time it was so important for the team to bring home the trophy? Yeah. 
I think that, um, and I mean, you know, if you watch some of Rossi's interviews and even the Chasing the Sun um, documentary series that came out after the World Cup, um, there's, you could see how much it meant to the guys and the coaching staff and the management, um, how they took it on themselves as well. And I'm, I'm in between the two. So I was at the march of thousands of women and and men for after Uyanene had been murdered. I was at that march in at Parliament uh, when the president spoke. And I also obviously spoke to my husband every day who is the Springbok captain and, you know, was just in this place of pressurizing him because I'm like why are you guys not saying anything or doing anything and I'm at these marches so it was like this this weird middle ground and I think that for South Africa you know you touched on the fact that it was such a a horrible time for us gender-based violence of course is every day out of control in South Africa and that time was no different to what it is today but it was such a heightened conversation then and um, I just think the fact, the realization for South African women that you can't even go to a post office without being in danger, I think for us made us realize how bad, you know, how bad it is in our country. Um, and then, of course, the xenophobia that was going on at the time as well was just absolutely horrific. And I just, I just can't imagine losing. I just couldn't have imagined. We just needed to win. We we needed to win. We needed to win. And and with that said, the responsibility of the joy in our country does not fall on this team's shoulders and mm-hmm. it should never. The responsibility lies with every single one of us as individuals um, to make healthy decisions for ourselves, of course, but in turn, making healthy decisions for our country and our nation and, and those around us. And I think that that's that's important for us, especially going next year into another World Cup. And, um, you know, the Springboks are doing really well. They um, have so many victories under their belt. And, um, you know, the coaching staff, this was the World Cup that, you know, they were planning on preparing to win. So we're excited as a country and, you know, we're hopeful, of course, and expectant, of course, which is all the good things and we should be. But I think that it's important for us as individuals to realize that, the hope and the joy of our country should not lie mm-hmm. um, and we shouldn't be placing the responsibility on these guys' shoulders because we've got to realize and remember that they're all individuals as well. They're all dealing with really real things too in their personal lives and um, personally. I mean, we've just seen Michael Hooper from the captain of Australia um, really just um, talk, talk about mental health and, and take a step back from his career um, to to look after himself mentally, and I, I think that's really important for us as as a nation to understand. It's really exciting for us, and we've we're very expectant, um, but we've got to be responsible for ourselves, and we've got to realize that we can't place all the responsibility on these guys' shoulders because mm. it's a hang of a lot for a squad of thirty five people to to carry to cope with. Yeah, and. I think when it comes to South Africa, we do have so many issues, you know. Yeah. Um, and one of the biggest is gender-based violence, if yeah. not the biggest. Yeah. Um, and it's almost become like a normal part of our society where we see these things happening and no one really does anything. Mm. But then something happens like the Uyunene yeah. um, murder and the whole country takes notice. You have to strike when things are are happening and people are angry and people are passionate Mm -hmm. because a lot of the time it fades and we go back to that like it's just normal you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. um so -hmm. do you think that's a good time to go you know we need to start something long lasting like your foundation to make sure that when the passion does die down from the general public Mm -hmm. we have this thing going to to kind of help all the time yeah so i think that's a very good question um firstly and i i think that your point about um, the fact that gender-based violence is a pandemic of its own in South Africa and the fact that not every death of a woman or child is raised to um, to the platform that it deserves, that you're absolutely right in saying that Uyanene's um, death, for example, 
of the many, many deaths of women that we experience was heightened to the level that it was because it was in a post office and it was, I mean, just insane. But it's not to say that one death is more important than the other. Um, Every single death of a woman, murder of a woman or child in our country, every single abuse case deserves to be absolutely raised to to the highest of highs. Um, and it's just, it's exactly that. It's it's so regular and so often that it isn't. It, you, you know, we have become a nation that have, oh, opened the news and there's another child murdered, there's another woman murdered. I mean, in other countries, this would be absolutely absurd. You look in England when, um, when there was that uh, unfortunate case of the woman running in the park and um, was murdered, that was absolutely unacceptable and that was just completely raised and um, that was mind-blowing for the country and for us every four hours a woman is being murdered by her partner and um, so it's absolutely devastating and I, I think that you know we we had C and I had always planned on using you know the platform that we've so been so blessed with to doing something with it and we were never sure exactly what. And we only spent time planning um, before the final because whether we won or lost or whether we were at the World Cup or not, it's the foundation was always something we were going to do. It wasn't dependent on winning the, the World Cup, absolutely not. Um, the fact that we were given the platform even before the World Cup um, was really something that we felt responsible to use. And um, so I think that there's always an opportunity to use a successful moment for something good. I think everybody's got that opportunity and you don't have to be the Springbok captain um, in order to do that. And you don't have to be, you know, have the platform that I have in order to do that. I think that everybody has the opportunity to feed off of a successful moment or something really devastating to do something good with that. It's, it's doesn't lie up to, you know, people that are in powerful positions. I think that, if, if we genuinely want to see South Africa change and we genuinely want to see a change in South Africa, it's, it takes every single one of us as individuals mm. to do something. I mean, look at you. You're using exactly what you have and the skill sets that you have to, to tell some phenomenal stories about South Africans that otherwise would never we would never know. And I think that um, that takes a lot of courage. And I think the fact that you've just gone out and said, I'm going to do this anyway. Like you could be chasing, you know, money and fame and all the things, but instead you have prioritized taking your skill set and using it for the good of South Africa and telling stories that are absolutely important. So I think that every one of us has the opportunity to do something good. That's not a question. It's whether or not we decide to. Mm, I think that's hundred percent accurate. I mean, I think I, a lot of the time I feel like sometimes what I'm doing isn't enough or I need to do more. And uh, sometimes it just takes a small act and just going, you know, even if I'm not going to contribute positively to society, let me not be a hindrance on other people doing so, Sure. <laughs> you know? Sure. So it is just, I think you, you said this in, in, in the video for your foundation where you were just like, we just all need to get up and just do what we can. Yeah. It wasn't exactly those words, but yeah. something along those lines. And yeah. I mean, just coming towards the end, can you tell us briefly some of the main things you and your foundation and your team focus on? Yeah. So um, the intention with the foundation was um, to kind of combine um, situations that C and I have both experienced in our life. We feel strongly about the fact that there's a lot of issues in our country, of course, but things that we've experienced personally that we feel we can talk into from our personal experience. Um, so there's three main pillars that we focus on in the foundation. The first one being gender-based violence, um, the second being food security, and the third being education and sports development. Um, so there's a number of different programs that actu that fall under all of these, you know, different pillars. Um, and there's a number of different things that we can say we're so proud of, but there's tons of information out there. And I, I guess the main thing and, and the slogan that a lot of people hang on to, I feel like once we've spoken about the foundation is remember the one, one by one. So um, our vision in the foundation is to change the narratives of inequality in South Africa. And obviously that's nothing small and we'll probably never see it done in our lifetime. Um, but we believe that it absolutely can be done. And 
um, you know, if you look at Sia's story, the fact that there's still children in this day and age dealing with exactly the same things that Sia dealt with 20 years ago is just unacceptable to us. So um, it's something that we really want to see change. But our slogan is remember the one, one by one. And it comes down to this exactly what we've kind of been touching on is just as an individual, what do you have? What resource can you use? What can you do to help somebody else? Um, because we can complain to the government until we blew in the face and complain we paid taxes and this isn't done and that isn't done. And yes, they hold a responsibility, but waiting on that is is never going to change anything. Vote, vote because it's important, but waiting on the government to make changes is never going to change anything. I think that we've got to realize that the responsibility falls on us. What what environment do we find ourselves with? Where can we help someone else? What can we do? What does that look like exactly? And walk a journey with someone. Don't let it be a one-stop shop. Like walk a journey with someone to help them through through life where you can and share resources. And one of my the big things that I touch on as well is if you don't have money to give to foundations and organizations, that's fine because many people don't. Can give you a time. If you if you don't have time, because some people don't even have time to give, that is absolutely an option. But if you don't have time, we all on social media. I don't know one person in this world who is not on social media in some way, shape, or form. You can share posts, you can tag people, you can it, it the smallest things that you can do, you can do. But we're so consumed on social media of so much crap for lack of better words <laughs> and then there's organizations not just the Colisi Foundation but many organizations sharing such important information that never gets shared because it's not cool it's not funny it's not entertaining it doesn't feed this this hunger beast of I need to be satisfied so it gets ignored and I, I mean it's horrendous to me that I can post at this fancy function wearing hair, makeup done, fancy outfit. And, and people you know, will share it. I'll get 30,000 likes on it. Mm. Share a foundation, post 5,000, you know, if I'm lucky. And I, I just don't understand that if you want to see South Africa a better place. So I just think that if you don't have resources like time, money or things to give, places places to visit, then just at least share a the post. Word. Yeah. Yeah. And just to end off, and I know this is maybe a bit of a tricky question to answer, yeah. but when it comes to all of the things you're doing, what do you hope to be remembered for? What do you think you would want to leave behind for the generation that follows? Um, <laughs> it's a tough one. <laughs> it's not easy, but it's a good question. And I think something all of us should reflect on because what are we actually doing? What are we doing? Um, I think when I talk about leaving behind a legacy, um, a lot of that lies in the foundation. I think that I really want to be remembered for what I do in the foundation and uh, the amazing work that comes out of that because the foundation is a, it's kind of mine and Sia's heart because a lot of the work that's done there is actually dreams that we dreamed and conversations that we had um, when we started dating and part of the reason why we fell in love with each other was because we shared this heart for people and we shared this heart for change. And um, so it's kind of like this project that's intertwined both of our hearts in it. And um, the work that's done there is a reflection of of our hearts. So I think absolutely the foundation is, is massive. Um, but for me... Um, just closer to home, I think I just want to raise great kids. I want to raise really good kids. I, I want them to be healthy. I want them to be happy. And um, and I think a lot of us look so far into what legacies we want to leave behind. And we're phenomenal to have this massive foundation doing such incredible work. But I think that when you're reflecting on this question, you know, if anyone feels like they should, I think you don't need to look too far to a legacy that you want to leave behind and too big. I think that raising great kids should never be underestimated and spending time focusing on your children's health and um, making sure that they're happy and making sure that they feel like they have a safe place and a place where um, they are safe and protected, I, I think should never be underestimated. And I think that for me is really, really, really important is um, if I sacrifice work and job opportunities to be home with a child who's not in a great space, I would do that above everything else. So um, for me, 
um, my children and raising great kids is is something I want to be remembered for. And um, obviously what they um, land up doing in their life and, um, and, and the work of the foundation. I think that's really beautiful. And by looking inwards and just making sure that everyone around you is uh, in a good place, I think you're doing your part for the next generation already, you know, because if mm-hmm. everyone looked towards their own family and the people around them, if you take care of each other, yeah. the next generation is going to be set up for success yeah. already. So mm-hmm. just once again, thank you so much for coming down. It's Thanks been an absolute honor and uh, amazing speaking to you. Oh, you're amazing, Josh. And yeah, just continue the phenomenal work that you're doing. And um, for those of you who watch and, and follow Josh's podcast, I can't recommend it enough. I think the stories he tells are, you know, from people that are controversial. I think <laughs> that it's um, it's people that you would never normally have a conversation with yourself. And um, I just think it's absolutely important for us as South Africans to um, to spend time hearing other people, other South African stories and the um, the worlds that they're living in and, and things that they're dealing with. So uh, just continue the amazing work, Josh. And I'm incredibly honored that you asked me and I'm so excited to have been here. Thank you so much. And uh, <laughs> thank you all for watching. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And uh, yeah, it's something that I've looked to, uh, forward to for a long time. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I'll see you all very soon. Cheers. Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> Cue the dog. <laughs> <laughs>